And I'd like you to take your Bibles tonight, and I would like you to find what has been labeled one of the most depressing books in your Bible. I find, if you will, the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's not depressing, by the way, if you understand the book. Some people say the book of Judges is the most depressing book in the Bible, and I can see that. That's a very sad and tragic book. Shows you what, men, what happens to men when they rebel against God and they cast off God. Good things will not happen in your life when you remove God out of your life. Always remember that. The day you think, I don't need God, and, uh, and start to live like you don't need God, God has a way of getting your attention. He really does. And putting you in a place where you will cry out to him for mercy. Now, we've been, prior to my surgery for my replacement of my knee, we were going through the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, looking at what the scripture has to say in this book and trying to get some things that will help us. And just for a little bit of recap, because it has been basically almost uh, the entire month of October, we did not look at it. And uh, so you have to go back to September. So let me refresh your memory banks on this book. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us tonight. Father, bless the time, bless the hour now. Speak to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for everyone who's here this evening. There's no mistakes. These are all divine appointments. <coughs> and I would pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts here this evening, that each and every person would, would listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. Spirit of God, we would ask that you would say in hearts what we can only say in ears, and that you would bring conviction and convince of the truth of your word. And for every single person here to learn from the wisdom that Solomon is trying to drive across to our hearts and to our lives this evening, to learn from his sad experience that we will not make the same mistakes. For we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Solomon is the, is the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon is writing this book in the latter part of his life. If you know your Bible, you remember Solomon was not doing too well in the latter part of his life. The Bible makes it very clear that Solomon had married a lot of strange women. By strange means foreign women. And these foreign women were not Hebrew women who loved the Hebrew God. These were women who worshipped all sorts of pagan deities, the goddess of Ashtaroth and Molech and, and so many other. And these were very satanic practices in worshipping these gods. And Solomon built temples for his wives and their false gods. And the Bible makes it clear that the, the, heart, the, the wives of Solomon had stolen his heart. Mama, get that back door. They had stolen his heart from the Lord. And uh, so Solomon finds himself in a bad way, and he's looking at life. As an older man, he's looking at life, and he's trying to find what purpose is there to this life. And to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, this is the most important thing you have to understand. To understand Ecclesiastes, Solomon is looking at life through the lens of life without God. What is life like if there is no God? And he calls it life under the sun, S-U-N. 
and really it's life without the S-O-N. And so Solomon is going to go through, life, through this book and he's going to begin this search for what purpose is there for, in living. Why are we here? You know, it's, it's not new with us when we were kids, but we, we were asked those philosophical questions. Why are we here? Where did we come from? And where are we going? Those are, yeah, and without God, you really can't answer those questions. Where do we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? Without God, there's no answer. With God, we have solid answers. Where do we come from? We're created by Almighty God. Why are we here? To glorify Almighty God. Where are we going? If you're saved, you're going home to be with God, to live with Him forever. Those questions are easily answered. But without no God, man's like, wow, we don't know any of those things. So Solomon's looking at life, and he's trying to figure all these things out. And, he's, and in chapter number 2 is where we left off the last time. He's, he's looking for uh, meaning in the things of life and the delights in life and pleasure and wealth and all that life has. And in verses 1 through 3, he talks about how he's going to enjoy pleasure. And, uh, and he talks about there, and I go now and I will... Prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. Behold, this is vanity. Again, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. We all enjoy having a good time and the things of life. But again, when, when there's no God involved, at the end of the day, what, what did it do? What, how did that... It didn't bring any lasting satisfaction. We can have a great night laughing and having a good time somewhere and then and wake up in the morning and we're stuck back with reality of all that we have to deal with in life. And we find that life without God has no pleasure in it. He talks about, uh, in verses 4 through 7, he, he makes this statement, I made great works, I built my houses, I planted my vineyards, I made my gardens and orchard, I planted trees, all kinds, I made pools of water to bring there with the, that, the wood that bringeth forth trees. And he talks about all that he had and, and, and his work in, in agriculture. And Solomon pursued all of these things by fixing up his real estate. Again, Solomon owned a lot of property. And in his property, he's fixing it all up. And, he, and, he, and he's doing everything that would make his property uh, worth more, produce more, and, and more attractive. We all like to, hopefully, you fix up your house, you fix up your little piece of land and and, uh, and make it look nice only so the town can tax you more money. And, uh, and so, but we like to fix things up and have things looking nice. We've worked very hard to fix up this little corner and make sure our church looks aesthetically pleasing from the outside as well as on the inside. But at the end of the day, if there's no God, uh, to what accomplishment was it? And he talks about how he had all the servants now, I've never had a servant in my life. The closest I ever had to come to a servant is the waiter at the restaurant. And I don't consider them a servant. They're just like you and me. They're working a job. And I'm, I'm always nice to my wait staff. Amen? Always be nice to those who wait on you because they deal with your food in the kitchen. And uh, you may end up with more than you bargained for if you aggravate them people long enough. I know this to be a fact from things. So you always want to be nice to them people in the kitchen. And always treat them well. And so we don't have servants. There's nothing wrong with having if you can hire somebody. I've often thought, boy, it'd be nice if I can just hire somebody to help my wife out. And she'd go off somewhere and just she'd come back home and the house is spotless. And, and, uh, and, and not that it's not now. My house is spotless now. I'm digging a hole here. I'm trying to work my way out of it. But you understand, ladies, what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to 
just to treat my wife that the house would be more than it already is. Amen, Miss Alicia, you help me out here. Say amen. Amen. We'll we'll work. And so, uh, you know, and then, you know, so my wife can come home and just relax instead of coming home from where she's working and then having to do all those things. Somebody asked me one time, we bought a dishwasher. I said, why'd you buy a dishwasher? I said, well, we, 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 the last one we had left. What do you mean left? Yeah, our daughter got married, so we lost our dishwasher. And so we, 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 we end up getting this thing and, and replacing it. Amen. Boy, the crowd just keeps coming in tonight. Amen. Guys, good to see you tonight. Amen. Come on in. We're just warming up. For every minute, everybody's late. That means I get to preach an extra 10 minutes. I'm just letting you know how this clock works around here. Hey, Brother Ronald, you want to do <laughs> So he has servants who do all these things for me. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2 and verse number 7. And again, and, uh, and again, this privilege of having servants. And what he says here at the end of it, he says that, that again, it, it doesn't do anything for me. In verse number 8, he talks, I gathered me also silver and gold. Now, most of us would love to have more silver and more gold. And we don't have silver and gold. We have currency in our wallets, dollar bills and $10 bills, which is all really worthless to begin with anyway because there's nothing backing it up except the U.S. government saying it's good. (laughs) And we're like, no, it's not. But they keep telling us it's good. And you can have all that money in your bank account and have all those riches, but yet how many people do we see in planet Earth that have more money than you can ever dream of, and yet are they happy? Are they satisfied? Are they, or are they, you know, when you don't have money, you worry because you don't have money, and when you do have money, you worry because you have money, and who's trying to get it from you? So there's always fear in no matter where you find yourself. He talks about music. I gather me also, in verse 8, I gather me, I get me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments of all sorts. Again, Solomon loved music and, and he got all these, listen, he didn't have CD players back then or iTunes or, 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 or uh, YouTube. They had, you, you had live singers. And, and, and if you were rich, like Solomon, you could hire people to sing in your house. Sing this song. And we listen to music. People listen to music all the time. And depending on what music you listen to, it's either going to make you angry or depressed or sad or lonely. And there's very few music out there that really lifts you up and makes you feel happy by the end. Usually you listen to it and you're like, my life's horrible. I stink. Everything stinks. And, and you're angry. Most music makes people angry today. If you pay attention, by the way, to me, people who are trying to tell you how rotten the world is or those who are multimillionaires making this music, trying to tell you how angry they are. But people have all these things. I was in a man's house one time, his entire basement, from wall to ceiling, with nothing but shelves. Shelves, 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 and he, and he burnt CDs or DVDs of movies. There must have been 5,000 movies in this guy's basement. And I'm walking around looking at all the different movies he had, you know, just like, dude, what, why? Why? You're not going to watch these things. And it's just, but you, you, they had to have them. It's like when VHS tapes came out. Everybody had to have a VHS. We had to buy the movie. And if you go on 
eBay today, you can probably buy the whole entire Disney VHS collection there because somebody just wants to get rid of it. They spent $3,000 back in the 80s, and now they're like, take the whole collection for $3. Get it out of here. Because it's VHS. Who's, who's watching VHS anymore? Don't raise your hand if you are. I really don't want to see you, okay? But you understand what I'm talking about here. In verse number 9, he talks about, So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom remained with me. Again, the wisest man who ever lived, and, and, and all this Solomon had all these great possessions, and he had a great position as king, and he had status and everything to the, that would appeal to his fleshly ego. So here's a man who has everything, everything that you may think you need and want in life. Well, if I can just get that car, if I can get, just get that house, if I can just hit that million-dollar lottery, if I could just have this job, if I can get this position at work, and, and think about it, if I can just get that, then I'm all set. Single people think, if I can just marry the right one, then I'll be all set. And, and then uh, married people are thinking, if my, maybe I married the wrong one, and they're depressed because they think they messed up. And this never ends with people because there's always something that seems to be missing. And what Solomon is letting us know here, and what we're learning with Solomon, again, life without God, even though he has everything, life without God, nothing has any real meaning to it. Because somebody's going to try and take it away from you. Somebody else wants it. Or when you do have you find out, you know what, it brought some fun for a few minutes, and then you put it off to the side. I was cleaning out the basement of, some time ago, and I found an old game I had. I had to have, in 1978, you had to have, had to, if you wanted to survive and be anybody in, in school, you had to have a head-to-head -head Coleco football game. Now, some of you don't have no clue. Brother Joel and a few are like, yep. And, uh, but, uh, but it was basically red dots on a black screen, and we did beep, 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 and, and, and that was it. There was no Madden, there was no, but we had to have that. So I found my Coleco head to, I put a nine volt battery in there, like, wow, I just turned it on. It still works. And for 10 seconds, it worked. Cheap piece of Taiwan junk, it doesn't work in here. I think after 40 years of sitting in my basement, the thing would still work, but it wouldn't work. But I had to have that in 1978. Do I want that now? Of course I don't want that now. It's, it's, it's meaningless. But when, at the end of the day, we realize most things in life that we think we have to have are, are meaningless because they're not going to bring true joy and satisfaction. And so he says in verse 10 and 11 as he goes through here, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and, and this was my portion for all my labor. Then I looked on the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all this was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. All the pleasures and delights that he could pursue, he did. But he was very disappointed with the results. Imagine if you could have everything your heart desired. Think, what, what, is, what do I want? You know, the proverbial genie in the lamp. If the genie in the lamp came along and said, what do you wish for? What would we wish for? Well, Solomon had all of that, and it wasn't just three wishes. It was, he had everything. 
He had everything that materially you can have. And at the end of the day, he says, it's, it's, the results have left me empty. I still go to bed at night and I'm still lonely. I got all these beautiful wives. I got all this money. I'm in this palatial palace. I, I look out upon my fields and my orchards and my vineyards and my gardens and, and, and land beyond measure. I, I, I own everything in sight. Why? To what purpose is this? You see, because when you leave Jesus Christ out of the equation, when you leave Christ out of your life, it's empty. I don't want to be redundant with these stories, but how many Hollywood actors who seem to have everything are on antidepressants, are, are checking themselves selves into rehabs because they're, they're, they're on drugs to help them with their depression? I mean, they're, they're, they're Hollywood actors. They're, they've, they've made it. Isn't that right? They've, they've made it. According to the world, they're, they're, they're it. They got money, fame, and glory. And yet there they are taking depressants. One of the famous actors many years ago died in New York City in Greenwich Village on an overdose. Taking antidepressants. How can a guy who has all of this be depressed? Because he did not have Jesus Christ. And when we don't have Christ, it's, it, 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 that's what it brings. And Solomon talks in verses 12 through 23. Again, he, he, look at, we're not going to read the whole thing, but he says, I, And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which he hath already done? Then I saw wisdom excelleth folly, and as far as light excelleth darkness. The man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. What is the one event that happens to all men? He's talking about different types of people. You look through life and you see the wise man, you see a foolish man, you see a, an ignorant man, you see all these various groups of people. Well, what one thing does everybody have in common? We're all going to die. Everybody dies. And we all, at the end of your day, when it's all said and done, all you're going to get is your name and some dates. That is your life. No matter what you've done, it's boiled down to a name and maybe the year you came in and the year you checked out. And maybe your family had a little extra money and they put a beloved whatever on there and you got a little more. But the, we don't know who's in there. You go to a cemetery, they're all the same. Without God, they're all nothing but a bunch of rotting corpses in the ground. And if you cremate them and scatter their ashes to the wind, it's still the same. So Saul was letting us know the vanity of the uh, fact that everybody dies regardless of who they are. I mean, the guy who invented this thing, we can argue how much he put into it. But Steve Jobs gave us these iPhones and we can... Hey, love him or curse him for it. But the man got cancer at the end of the day with all his money. They said, I'm sorry. Sorry, Steve. You're going to die. And he died. Steve Jobs dies. Presidents die. The pauper dies. And so Solomon is letting us know all these things, again, about 
how one event happens to all of them. And I want you to notice what he says in verse number 17. This is very important. I don't want you to miss what Solomon is saying here because it reveals his heart. Therefore, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. For the preacher to say, I hated life, that is a revelation of just how far Solomon is from God because the Christian should never say, I hate life. Because with Christ, it says, I've come to give you life and you have it more abundantly. I want you to have my joy and that your joy might be what? Full. But here's Solomon and he's doing all these things. He says, I, I can't stand it. I hate my life. I hate everything about this life. It's just monotonous and it never ends. The Christian should love life. We should seek to put the most into it and get the most out of it for the glory of God. We may not enjoy everything. I said, I'm not enjoying the last month of my life per se. It's been a lot of pain with my knee being replaced. I'm still in some pain and it's, it's dwindling little by little each week. But I still can't sleep right and I'm still having problems. But you know what? I still got my leg. I'm thankful for that. I still got a knee and I'll get better. But the last month has been a painful experience. I'm not going to moan and groan about my life, but some people have it a thousand times worse than I have. But I can't say, hey, the last month's been really great. I've just really, no, I've been good at physical therapy, and I lay in that bed, and they squeeze my leg, and I put a pillow over my face, and, and so this way nobody sees me crying and, 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 and asking for Jesus and my mother to come help me. Amen? So I'm in pain. I don't like being in pain. I'm going to take a bullet with me and bite on a bullet so I can look tough while they're putting me in pain. But other than that, my friend, I'm, 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 I'm liking, I like life. I like my wife. I like my children. I like my grandchildren. I like grandchildren on the way. It's life's good. It holds a lot of pleasures in here. And for Solomon to say, I hated life. It's showing you just how bad and how far he has been removed from God. We want to look at life and say, you know what, there's, there's pleasure in this. Solomon here again, verses 18 through 20, we won't take time. He said, I, I hate him all my labor, which I had taken on the sun, because I should leave it unto another man that shall be after me. You know, you can work your entire life do 50 years for the company. You know what happens? You work 50 years or maybe what's, what's, 40 years for a company. You retire, they throw a party for you. They say, yay, thank you, you're wonderful, yeah, and you leave. You know what they do the next day? They hire somebody, and you're completely forgotten about. You drop dead. Oh, Johnny dropped dead on the way to work. Oh, put an ad out. We need to, we need to replace him, and uh, let us know what happens. But they're, they're replacing you. <laughs> they're repl everybody's replaceable. Hey, you may walk in here one day, I'm, I'm replaceable. Everybody's replaceable. Went, Listen, I was out for surgery. We had people replacing me here. And so it, everybody's replaceable. And Solomon's learning this in life that no matter what you do, I, my labor, somebody's going to come along after me. And I'm going to leave it to somebody else. You can have a great estate. You can have a home filled with a car and the jet ski and, and, and everything else, and when you die, the old saying where there's a will, there's a relative, they're going to come and they're going to collect, and all your stuff that was in one place with you, what happens? They all pick it and they, 
And they take it and they scatter it out. And then when they die, somebody says, oh, it's just a piece of junk. And they toss it out. There are certain things I have in my possession that belong to my mother. This was my mom's. I see this is my mom's and very few little things. But this reminds me of my mom. So when, when I leave and my kids look at it and say, what's this? They won't know it was belonged to my mom. And they'll look at this piece of junk or this ugly decoration and, and throw it out. And I've, you know, Ethan and Evan are waiting for me to go so they can go to my office and collect all my wonderful stuff up there. Amen? <laughs> That's, not really, but you understand. And if we're going to go through that and say, look at this nut job up here with all this stuff. And just throw it out. And I tell people, when you go into my office, by the way, there's, there's a name behind everything. There's a reason why I got some things. There's a name behind it. There's a memory or a story or something behind everything. And if you ever want to sit up there and say, what's the, what's the name behind this one? I'll, maybe I'll tell you and maybe I won't. But there's a, there's a name behind it. But when, I, when you die, everything you have, you leave to somebody else. A lady called me up one time. She said, my husband died. He was a preacher. And I got some suits. The Lord said that I'm to give them to you. What size are you? I said, well, did the Lord tell you to give me the suits? She said, yes. I said, well, the Lord knows my size. They'll fit. <laughs> and so I went down there, and, and they fit me for about a year. I wore a dead man's suit. It fit me good. And uh, nothing wrong with that. It was, it was a nice suit till it finally wore out. And so, I, I, you know, then we threw it out. And... Uh, so my kids can fight over my clothes. You know, Ethan, put on about 30 more pounds. You can probably fit into something I wear. All right? Just <laughs> Take Ethan out of the will. All right, there we go. All right, now. <laughs> and so uh, there we go with all of that and all of our possessions. He talks here again, we're going through this very quickly, he talks about decisions that must be made. We all have decisions. He says there, in verse 24, there is nothing better for a man that he should eat, drink, and that he should take his soul and to enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. The Apostle Paul said this, he said, for me to live is Christ, which is a far better conclusion than the one Solomon made in our text. Solomon said, no, I might as well enjoy what I have. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying what you have. Nothing wrong at all. But Paul had the right perspective when he said, for me to live is Christ. If I live for Christ, that's where the real joy is. Not in the pleasure. You can grow a vineyard and you can eat the grapes. But at the end of the day, the grapes run out. You can have livestock. And you can butcher that livestock and eventually eat that livestock, but it runs out. Christ does not run out. Christ is eternal, and, and His promises are eternal. Again, there's nothing wrong with things. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. But as long as we have the right perspective and, and, the, and the right view in all these things, that this was from the hand of God. He talks here again about... Uh, he says this was from the hand of God. Solomon seems to put the approval of his degraded conclusion on thinking of God. It's like someone who, who's wayward, someone who's backslidden, and then claims God is doing that. I know a guy one time, a preacher, who molested a young boy, left his church in another state, moved to this state, 
And what does the Bible say, by the way? Be sure your sins will find you out. They, they, they arrested him. He, he went to prison. Hopefully he's in there for a very, 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 very long time. But you know what his statement was? He said, God put me in prison so that I could witness in jail. No. No. God had nothing to do with that. You did that. You put yourself in jail. That's your decision. God did not... Listen, Paul was put in jail, and he witnessed in jail, but he did nothing wrong. Daniel was put in the lion's den, and he did nothing wrong. If you sin and break the laws of society, you go to jail because you broke the laws of society. Don't blame God. And Solomon seems to be in, in bringing God into this equation about his lifestyle that's away from God. Well, I guess God's blessing. Stop bringing God into it. You, you have no use with God. You have no following with God. You have no desire for God. And now all of a sudden, uh, you, you use him like he's a, like a magic word. And somehow, oh, they're, they're talking about me down there. Okay, okay, good. Well, God doesn't operate that way. He says in verse 25 of this chapter, For who can eat, or who else can hasten thereunto more than I? Solomon's statement condemns him, for it says that he had more advantages than anyone else. And some people in life seem to have more advantages than others. They they just seem to be in a place where they have more opportunities than somebody else. Which doesn't mean, by the way, just because you have less advantages makes you a less of a person. It just means you may have to work a little harder to advance yourself. But Solomon was in a position where he could do all these things and had this opportunity. Yet, the history of Solomon is a very tragic one. His many wives, which was a sin, God never told him. God warned him about that. His apostasy, which his apostasy, by the way, laid the groundwork for his nation to become divided. And the, all the problems that was going to happen after that. And so when we have great privilege, there is great responsibility that goes with that. And if God has blessed you with money, you have a responsibility with that money to be wise with it. And I would encourage us that the, the money you have ought to be put to the work of God. Not to putting your name on a building somewhere or a stadium somewhere. But how is this? I've got to promote the cause of Christ because this is, this is all that really matters. This is about Jesus. And Jesus has given me this, this opportunity, this wherewithal, this advantage. Let me do something with it that will promote the cause of Christ. You know, I forget years ago, a, a football player gave $300,000 to a church. And everybody's like, "Woo, that's a lot of money. I wouldn't mind some guy giving me $300,000. But when you think about it, yeah, we buy some vans, we buy a few, a few things around here. But when you think about it, the guy makes $30 million a year. So how much did he really give? You who give 10% out of your $30,000 or $40,000 or $50,000 a year give more than he does on the scale of things. You understand how that math works and how, what God sees? Jesus looked at the widow woman. He said she threw a penny in. People say, that's all I got to give? No, no, you missed the point. That's all she had. That's all she had. 
And she gave everything to God. Jesus, you see that? We're gonna, you, you people will talk about her till I come. And we are. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about that widow woman who gave a penny. And she gave more than all those who were throwing their thousands into the to temple offering. It's all about what we have. And so don't think, if I only had a million dollars, oh, what I'd do for Jesus. Listen, just think what you can do for Jesus if you had $10. Because Jesus said, if you just have a cup of water, all I ask from you is a what? A cup of water. That's all I ask. I don't want to ask you to give me a million dollars because you don't have it. Just give what you have. We'll do something with it. Moses, what do you have in your hand? I got a stick. We're going to do something with that stick. You just watch. We're going to take down an empire with that stick. God just needs a stick that's surrendered to him. That's all he needs. David, what do you got? Well, I got a slingshot. We're going to do something with that slingshot. Just watch this. What do you have, son? I got some fishes and some loaves. We're going to do something with that lunch, I'll guarantee you. That's all God needs. God doesn't need the finances of Solomon. He just needs the surrendered item that's in your hand. Again, when we think of Solomon here and all these going through, and I, I want to tie this together very quickly here. When we finish chapter number two here tonight, this finished really the first section of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon has presented really four arguments that seem to prove that life is really not worth living. In chapter one, verses four through 11, he talks about the, the, the monotony of life. It's monotonous. What are we going to do when we go home? You're going to change, get comfortable, get ready for bed, and go to bed. Then you're going to sleep, and then you're going to get up in the morning, get dressed, and go to work, eat, come home, and, and relax, and then get dressed and, and go to bed, and, and you're going to do it all over again. It, it, it seems monotonous, doesn't it? Just every day, the same thing. He talks about the vanity of wisdom in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. In verse, chapter number 2, in verses 1 through 11, he talks about the futility of wealth. And in verses 12 through 23, he talks about the certainty of death. His arguments appear to be true if you look at life without God, life under the sun, that is only from the human point of view. There's no God. Let me look at life just humanly speaking. And it's like, man, this is... Why? So when you bring God into the picture, everything changes. Life, death, wisdom, and wealth are all in God's hands. And He wants us to enjoy His blessings and, and, and please His heart. If we rejoice in the gifts but forget the giver, then we become ungrateful idolaters. God gave me this. I remember my sister went to Hawaii. I was in fifth grade. My sister came back from Hawaii, and she brought me several things back. She gave me a book on Pearl Harbor. And when I got that book, I determined I need to go to Hawaii to see Pearl Harbor. I wanted to see Pearl Harbor since I was a small boy. And then I had that book on Pearl Harbor. I said, I have to get to Pearl Harbor. It was my life's goal to see Pearl Harbor. And God gave us that desire a few years ago. And she gave us a few other things, but she gave me some colored pencils with a you know, Hawaii on it, some palm trees. And I took them to school excited. I had these colored pencils. And my, my friend Mark took one of my pencils and he broke it. He just snapped it in half. 
made me mad. Now, since we're in church, and this is a Christian place, I won't begin to let you know what happened to Mark. But Mark kind of resembled the pencil when it was all said and done. But I remember, after dealing with Mark, going into the closet in my class, and I was crying because my pencil was broken. The pencil my sister brought back from Hawaii to give to me was now broken. I'm sitting, don't tell nobody, I don't want anybody to think I was a sissy. But there I am, 11 years old, crying because my pencil was broken. You say, preacher, what's the purpose of that stupid story? My purpose, my friend, is, is, is because I was thinking about the one who gave it to me. My sister gave that to me. And this kid broke it. How dare he do that? When we get something, we understand this came from God. God gave this to me. God gave me my health. God gave me my home. God gave me my job. God gave me this food. God gave me my family. God gave me everything. I'm thankful for what God has given to me in my life. To those who don't know God, they're like, well, you know, so what? I'm going to crash my car and I'll get another one. There's a kid in town here years ago. His father always bought him a brand new car and the kid would crash it. Within a day or two, he'd come down Carney Avenue at 100 miles an hour and crash it and his dad would buy him another brand new car. The kid was an idiot. His father was an idiot. He had no appreciation for anything. But when we look at the rest of this book, Solomon will consider some arguments here. And... and the arguments, he will say, enjoy life and be thankful to God. So that's Solomon's arguments coming up. Be thankful. Be thankful and enjoy things. Solomon, in his life, he's, he's trying to figure some things out. He's trying to get it straightened out in his life. My friend, life isn't a book. Life isn't logical or, or sensible. Life is not always ordered. Life sometimes can be a mess. And, so, and life can be difficult. But when we have the Bible, when we have biblical theology, we look at life with, in the midst of our mess and know that God is still in control and God will get me through this mess. And God will get me through these difficult times. And, and Solomon's going to provide us with that thinking, with that way of thought that no matter what happens I'm going through, God will take care of me. God will see me through these things in my life. Let's pray. Father, bless the time. Bless these people tonight. Thank you for their patience, their faithfulness, and their attentiveness this evening. Now help us this night. We pray in Jesus' name.